Hey, anybody got eyes on that balloon? I, I'm just checking. I'm hearing rumors that it's been spotted all over. Had one friend claiming that it was in Kansas City or that he saw it in Kansas City today. As I noted on social media, I want to thank the Chinese for giving me a reason to revert to a conversation on Balloon Boy earlier this morning. Good afternoon. Troy Coverdale in for the game, literally flying solo today. There is no one else in this room. There is no one in the control room besides me. Mitch is on his way over to Topeka. We'll be checking in with him for Mitch Palm in a little bit, previewing tomorrow's game with Texas as the Cats try to end what has become a two-game slide in Big 12 play. It's a sneaky little item on the notes. The Cats have dropped their last two Big 12 games. Sandwiched around the win over Florida in the Big 12 SEC challenge last weekend, you forget that you had the loss at Iowa State and now the loss at KU on Tuesday, and that means back-to-back after getting out to such a good start in conference play. We'll get Mitch's thoughts on Mitch Baum in the next hour in all likelihood as he's got Manhattan High coverage coming up a little bit later tonight as well here on News Radio KMAN. Among the sports headlines on the docket today, Oklahoma and Texas apparently aren't going to be able to reach a deal with the Big 12 and its television partners to allow them to just skip on out of the conference. No harm, no foul. Goodbye, fare thee well. So long. No, instead, it appears that they are going to have to remain in the conference until the gain of rights contract is done. 2024. End of the 24 25, essentially, season. What a shame. Just what a shame. So, so sad. Uh, no words, by the way, out of yesterday's athletic directors and president's meeting in Dallas where there were a number of items that were up for discussion, including OU and Texas, but also the proposal that would see Gonzaga potentially invited as a basketball-only member or a uh, member for the conference. Granted, it doesn't have football, and thus it would be highly dependent on the basketball aspect of things. Nothing has been said, really, that came out of that meeting. So it will be interesting to get the judgment. We know that Brett Yormark, Big 12 commissioner, will be in town tomorrow for the K-State-Texas game. And it would be interesting to see if we get an opportunity to chat with the commissioner tomorrow and get his thoughts on uh, just the discussion or the level of discussion that's being held that would bring Gonzaga potentially into the Big 12. But the Texas-Oklahoma news, the highlight of the day in that it means that the conference is going to be at 14 teams for these next two seasons. I got to thinking last night with Gonzaga potentially joining 
if you've got a 14-team league, you tack on Gonzaga, make it 15 teams, say for even if it's just the one season, there are a lot of scheduling permutations that could take place for basketball. Consider that we sit today right now at the halfway point of this season. Nine games have been completed. Everybody's played nine. It is an 18-game schedule. You play everybody twice. Basketball is going to find itself in a very, very interesting spot next year. And as things break down the year after, it appears. Because you're not going to be able to do a double round robin anymore. 28 games would basically hold you to just a conference season, no non-conference whatsoever. I.E., almost Division II style basketball. Not going to happen. Too many dollars involved. Too many cross-rivalries that you want to see. I mean, how would you like to tell KU that they can't play at the Champions Classic? (laughs) That's the type of thing that would get blown up if you tried to piece together a double round robin. So there are some interesting permutations that are going to come from scheduling next year for both men's and women's basketball. And a key part of it is the fact that nobody wants to go to divisions. We've talked about it for football that divisions have kind of become passe. The Big Ten is eliminating theirs. The Pac-12 just did get rid of theirs. But are you better off doing something along the lines of divisions? Because you're going to have to figure out ways to double up some opponents, i.e., KUK State's got to happen twice. It just got to. K-State, Iowa State, I mean, the likelihood of that being twice has got to be there. But you're going to have to adjust and adjust and adjust, and no one's going to be fully happy, of course. I mean, we already see Oklahoma and Texas kind of thumbing their nose at what the football schedule is going forward anyway. They were the least enthused in terms of social media releases over the week this week. But you find yourself in a spot where, ironically, adding Gonzaga, if you would do it in time for the for the at least the twenty four season or the twenty five season, excuse me. If you did it for For that season, no 15 teams, you turn it into where you get 14 games. That puts you on the hook for four double-up games. Basically puts you in a spot where you could do pods very easily. And then set up the structure of how you would play against the three other pods, for example. But you also have then your main pod 
that, say, for example, could be K-State, KU, Iowa State, and, uh, for good measure, Oklahoma State. Let's just put it in there as, as a name. Because, granted, you're going to wind up with an odd balance here somewhere, or even, like, BYU. You forget that they're sitting out there out west. That's going to be interesting to watch and see. Or, you know, if it would be Gonzaga, you'd have Gonzaga, BYU, then you've got to figure out how you're putting together KUK State. Anyway, the point being that there are some interesting permutations that could take place that would be evened out, ironically, by Gonzaga being in the conference in time for a season when Texas and Oklahoma are part of the picture. The flaw is that right after those two schools leave, then the permutations shift and it becomes more of a challenge because you lose two but have kept one. And at that point, you're looking at 13 teams, 12 games that are, you know, basic at that point. And so it becomes an interesting challenge to figure out how you would set up your schedule from there. The point overall being, though, that there are some very interesting decisions that lie in front of the conference office in the coming weeks and months, given that very little has been settled. For all of our talk about college athletics and the upheaval that has been wrought by the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas coming up, the Big Ten making their moves to add UCLA and USC. There remains a ton of upheaval just in the Big 12 boundaries right now because we don't have a good idea of how schedules are going to break down for any of the sports except now for football. The big one has been established. We've got the idea for one of the seasons of what is coming. But we don't have a handle yet on what it's going to mean for any of the other sports. Then you factor in the Gonzaga discussion. And while Pete Thamel noted on ESPN.com today that the negotiations still leave Texas and Oklahoma in the conference until the gain of rights contract is done in 2025, negotiations could pick back up. This isn't a completely dead-and-gone idea for those two schools, but it is becoming more and more a situation where time is growing tight. Or as the source quoted by Thamel says here, there's no formal timeline or brink from which you can't come back. But this is where things are right now. A deal is unlikely. In the recent history of conference realignment, Thamel notes, 
the fact that the announcement was made in 2021 by Oklahoma and Texas, yet they're not going to be able to get out of the Big 12 until 2025, four full seasons will have passed by the time that they leave the conference. As Thamel says, in the recent history of conference realignment, it's an unprecedented amount of time to play out as a departing member. It is an interesting case study. And I know that Longhorn fans are having themselves a heyday right now, going off about how little brother can't afford to get out of the Big 12. Oklahoma thinks that they could just pay their way and go. Except that, you know, Oklahoma can't pay it. Maybe, just maybe you guys should have thought that through a little better. (laughs) You signed on to a contract. (laughs) One that, oh, by the way, Oklahoma was instrumental in putting into play. Think about that for a moment. Oklahoma's own machinations over time in the person of David Boren, then president at OU. Oklahoma was the ones that pushed the hardest for the big penalty dollars for schools that wanted to leave. Put the payout at a 80 million dollar range. Now they're getting burned by, well, their own actions. There's some justice to that that is beautiful to watch. There is some there there is some Schadenfreude right there. Unfortunately, Texas picks up another reason to gloat and that just irritates everybody. Sources said the sides could not agree on how to create equitable value for what Fox would lose in 2024, the equivalent of seven football games that would feature either school that command premium advertising. Apparently, the meetings in Dallas yesterday doubled as an unofficial, quote-unquote, deadline for a deal to get done, according to Thamel. But at this point, that deal is done. It is not, in a, a, it is not going to happen. Or it's going to at least take some serious reviving. I mean, there's going to be some work there if they're able to figure out a way to somehow pry the money from Oklahoma to leave or change the amount of money for Oklahoma to leave. Want to note, welcome to your first weekend without football until the fall. Oh, yes, it's the hiccup weekend ahead of the Super Bowl. We all know what we're doing a week from this Sunday. But this week, there's no football. 
I know they're trying to pass off the flag football game in Las Vegas as such. Skills competition at the Pro Bowl taking place last night. Line of the night had to go to one Derek Carr. Derek, you've thrown touchdown passes in Vegas before. You've been on fire. Have you ever been that hot in Las Vegas? Not that hot. It's uh, probably why I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> nice. That literally on ESPN last night. Derek Carr with the response to a question from Ryan Clark. That was so tremendous. Derek Carr with the jokes, anyway. Got to give him credit being sharp and having a sense of humor about it all. Because otherwise, he has got to be one frustrated guy. Coming back, Mitch had the uh, opportunity, I should say, that uh, media had the opportunity yesterday again to catch up with some of the new football players at K-State, the guys that have been in place since semester. We'll bring you the comments of wide receiver Keegan Johnson, the transfer from Iowa, when we continue on the game. Coverdale with you as the game continues on a Friday afternoon. Mitch Fortner will join us in a little bit, live from Topeka ahead of that high school basketball coverage on K-Man. He'll have Mitch Palm coming up in the next hour as we kick ourselves into the weekend for a group of young men at K-State. They find themselves now at a point where, well, they've put in a few weeks worth of not just workouts, but classes. The group that got on campus at semester, among them transfer wide out Keegan Johnson out of Iowa, originally from uh, the Bellevue uh, area just outside of Omaha, played in only one game this past season because of injury. He'll be coming back looking to get healthy, and he talked with the media yesterday. Offense last season, how much do you think you can help this offense moving forward? Yeah, um, I think I can provide an explosive weapon, um, big play um, type, you know, uh, talent, um, I really like the trajectory, like I said earlier, though, of the way the offense and how Coach Klein has kind of, you know, added new things. Um, uh, I've watched, you know, how they use Malik, uh, just different their creative ways of getting, you know, their playmakers the ball, and it's really appealing to me. So It really sold you on kind of taking that Malik Knowles role that he provided last season? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily the same exact role, but um, just kind of knowing that Malik was a good amount of the production in the offense and they needed, you know, a guy that would come in and fill that production. And, you know, I felt like I could be that guy. Where are you at health-wise? I know they had some stuff go on. Yeah. How do you feel? And, and I guess, are you full go? Yeah, I'm full go right now. So I've been full go now. I got here two and a half, three weeks ago, so I've been full go since I've been here, so I'm feeling good. What do you like most about Will Howard as a quarterback? I think Will is, what I like most is that he, I don't even think he's uh, tapped his potential. I think he's growing. Um, so I think, I don't even think you guys have seen, you know, the best of Will Howard yet, so that's very exciting. Um, definitely, you know, I think he works hand-in-hand -hand with the receivers really well. He, you know, takes our input, and I think that, you know, that quarterback-wide receiver relationship is really important, you know, to having good chemistry on the field. You said they were, Kansas State was in your final two, that first recruitment. Yeah. 
So once you entered the transfer portal, did you know that you were going to kind of take a reexamination of them? Definitely, um, definitely. When I I got an opportunity to watch for a last a Big Twelve championship, and um, like I said, I just really liked the trajectory of you know the way Kansas State you know their program was going. And as I mentioned earlier, I had familiarity with Coach uh, Kleiman and already coming out of high school. So I had had an idea that when they reached out to me that I was definitely going to take a close look at them. All of the most so far, just being here? Yeah. I think the way the guys have welcomed me onto the team, um, they made me feel like I was part of the team for a while as soon as I got here. And I think as a transfer, that makes it process of moving to a new school so much easier on you because you start to just getting adjusted and getting more comfortable is the quickest way to thrive. And I think the way they welcome me and treating me like family as soon as I got here, I think that's what I've noticed. Did you talk to any other transfers uh, before? Because that seems to be a common theme among the people that are transferring here. Yeah, um, not necessarily. Um, obviously, I've examined, you know, wanted to make the best decision for my future. So I've, you know, looked around at other people who have made transfers. And I didn't necessarily talk to anyone, though, but I definitely took a look at people who had transferred before me. Their success. Yeah, and their success, exactly. You played a lot of big-time football mm -hmm. at Iowa. I mean, is there another level of excitement in playing a brand-new Power 5 conference yeah. and just the style of play, too? Right. Oh, definitely. It's definitely a different style of play, and I think that's something I'm looking forward to. Um, Big 10 and Big 12, uh, two different play styles, but still big time ball in both places. And, you know, I'm really excited to, you know, get out there and start playing. So, yeah. From what I understand, Iowa's offense can be really complex and tough to kind of understand all the concepts. Coming to K-State, have you noticed that it's maybe easier to diagnose the offense and all those different things? Uh, yeah. So I would say I don't really want to jump into comparing the two offenses. Um, I'm kind of moved on, but I will say the difference is uh, the no huddle. I came from an offense that did a lot mm -hmm. of huddle. Um, so right now, I think the signal learning is a big thing that I'm working on um, as much as I can. So I'm ready to go. Spring ball comes around. I would say signals, um, to answer your question, signals is the biggest difference in the no huddle. So that's what I'm learning. Tip of the hat to Keegan for not getting into comparison mode. That's a very sharp young man right there. As a freshman at Iowa, Johnson led the Hawkeyes with 18 receptions for 352 yards, two touchdowns, but he appeared only in the game against Nevada for the Hawkeyes this past season, dealing with a soft tissue injury that cost him the season. So we will uh, look forward to seeing him in action in Wildcat Purple coming up this fall, but he's one of those who made their way on campus at semester. Another transfer, this one from North Dakota State. Boy, we've kind of made a little bit of a trend there, haven't we? Defensive back Marquise Seigel also had the chance to talk with media yesterday. Being here at Kansas State, does, does it seem surreal or is it kind of hit you that you're here? Um, I'll say definitely surreal. Like This always been my dream to be on this level and to come from uh, FCS school to this level is just like still getting used to it, all the lifts, how it is up here. How big was, uh, how easy was the adjustment? Maybe knowing Coach Kleiman was at MV as you? Um, I would say it's both just because mm -hmm. you already got the experience, you already know what to expect, but it's definitely a different intensity and in how they want everything to be more perfect. How did what Josh Hayes was able to do, how, how did that maybe impact you? Um, mostly just um, that we can be on this level coming from 
the level we is and what we played, coming from the same league, same team, seeing what he did, saying I can do that too. Did you have any prior relationship with Coach Kleiman or Coach Klanderman? Um, no, I didn't. They left um, two years before I okay. started. Yeah, I thought the gap might be too wide mm-hmm. there. Um, but did the fact that they, you know, they came from North Dakota State, you came from North Dakota State, did that uh, help in any way, or what was that like? Oh, yeah, that definitely helped, like, with the connection because they understand, like, where I'm coming from, how it is up there. So it's like we supposedly, like, we're on the same page, just how it is up there and just know, like, what to expect. What made you really want to play and be part of the secondary? Um, I just felt like home here. The connections just felt good. Um, just wanted to provide for the team, help um, the best I can, and closer to home for me. And I'll say just more exposure. Where are you from originally? Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Did, did you know any of the coaches before? Um, I knew a little bit about um, Coach Riley because he recruited in Omaha, Nebraska. But that's pretty much it. How much, I guess, sense of pride do you take in knowing that you're going to be able to come in and potentially play early, considering guys like Kobe did the same thing last year in the back half of the defense? Um, I wouldn't say pride. It's just everybody got to earn a spot. A freshman can come in here, but it's just about um, the amount of work you put in, about time. Anybody can come in here and play, not me, freshman. So I came to work. And what's the big, biggest like learning curve you've had at this point compared to the different levels? Um... I'll say the more intensity. They focus on way more of the little details here. And how have you gone about kind of taking those little details and learning them and everything like that? Um, definitely can tell the difference. Got me going to sleep a little bit earlier than I have been. Um, and I'll say, um, I'll say it's focusing more on the body. Like they actually care more here. They show love. So I, I definitely, it's a big improvement. When you're going through the, I guess, re-recruitment process mm-hmm. um, through the portal, K-State has picked up a lot of guys from yep. the FCS level. Mm-hmm. Was that kind of something that was a selling point, and did you know that coming in, and was that part of your decision-making? Um, yeah, I definitely had. Um, that was part of the decision just because they come in from the FCS, so, like, they know, like, you um, mostly coming in with a chip on the shoulder. They came in here, so it felt like I wanted to be a part of that too, um, especially during a proven or upcoming winning the um, Big 12 Conference. So I was just like, let's win another one. Marquis Seigel, the defensive back transferring in from North Dakota State. Interesting. He's uh, joined team early to bed. Boy, do I know how that one goes. Such is life, right? Coming up uh, in a little bit, we'll touch base with Mitch as we get Ken Palm for tomorrow night's contest against Texas the Royals with one contract to announce today and a little bit of change in the look. We'll tell you about it as we continue on the game. The game continues at News Radio KMAN. Good afternoon, Troy Coverdale. Flying solo on a Friday. Making our way through ahead of high school basketball coverage coming up from Topeka. Manhattan High at Hayden this evening. We've got the full coverage coming up for you roughly 6 o'clock tonight as the Indians are getting back into Centennial League play after tournaments the past couple of weeks. Throughout the course of the week, everybody's just been waiting for the ink to dry on the contract. It made its way official today. Zach Greinke signing a one-year deal. That means the 39-year-old will be on the roster for the coming season. 
A source telling MLB.com that the deal is worth between eight to ten million dollars this season, plus performance bonuses. That's down from the thirteen million that he was paid last season. It's his twentieth major league season that Granke is starting this year for Kansas City. His uh, second in his second stint, of course, as he's. Had the Brewers, Angels, Dodgers, uh, Diamondbacks, and Astros as the other locales that he has pitched in between his stints in Kansas City. Among players who remain active, how about this for an advanced stat? His total wins above replacement for his career per baseball reference? Third among the players who are active. Behind only Mike Trout and Justin Verlander. Six-time All-Star, six-time Gold Glove winner, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, back when pitchers actually had to hit in the National League. (laughs) That's an adjustment again. Still, the fact that uh, this coming season marks the second year that pitchers do not hit in the league. The Royals also took the opportunity to announce today that they're going to go with a bit different look on opening day and throughout the course of the season. The old man in me says, you're closer, but not quite there yet. Full powder blue uniforms. No longer will they be pairing white pants with the powder blues. No, instead, it's powder blue pants to go with the powder blue tops. They'll wear them on opening day. The jerseys, in terms of the tops, had been reintroduced several years ago. But finally, the team is getting back to that look from the 80s. Now, personally, there's still a flaw to this. All of the lettering, all of the numbering must be in white, period, first of all. No more of this, uh, of, of, of having blue outlines or the logo in darker blue. No, leave that for the Rays. The powder blues have got to be all white lettering and numbers. But even more important to me, I miss the block Kansas City across the front of those jerseys. I know it's a silly thing. Kind of like our talks about lavender around here. And how I am a fan of the two tones. Probably because they're historical, sure. But there are a lot of uniform styling items that I miss from olden days because, well, we've decided to flash up everything. It's simple. I realize that. I know. It's a goofy thing on my part. But it's it's a great reminder of what the Royals were as I grew up as a kid. You did not have the script Royals on those road jerseys. No, you had block Kansas City across those jerseys. Now by 85, they had introduced the script Royals across them, and the rest is history. And in fact, I've got my 
Bo Jackson jersey at home that is included in that royal script, the, the, the tradition there. It's just, it's just, one of the reasons I liked it, it was different. It was a different look for Kansas City than being a straight-on, save for not having the red numerals on the jerseys, a straight-on copy of the Dodgers. Which, let's be perfectly honest, almost every element of the Royals' jerseys when they were created was a takeoff on the Dodgers. And anybody who doesn't know that about the uh, history of the Royals and wants to argue that, fine, we can get into that discussion, but we all know what the deal was. (laughs) When you're putting a team together literally in a year, which is what the Royals had to do, I mean, you had one year. And I think about that. If you've spent any time reading, well, as one example, Jim Bouton's Ball Four, the recognition of how bad the American League handled its initial foray into Seattle the same year that the Royals were introduced. It's one of those there but for the grace of God go I moments. It makes you really appreciate everything that the folks in Kansas City from Ewing Kaufman on down the line and the community as well. I mean, this this wasn't just the franchise, but the things that the community did to essentially set themselves up so that there was only one year that the city was without Major League Baseball after the A's left town for Oakland. A one-year layoff and building a franchise completely from scratch in one year. It was an unmitigated disaster in Seattle, which is why the pilots were out of money before they even got to August. It's how Bud Selig, by the way, was able to purchase the Seattle pilots he and others in a consortium from Milwaukee. And thus, that's how you got the Milwaukee Brewers. One year in Seattle as the pilots, they go belly up. And on their first day in Milwaukee, essentially they were wearing leftover Seattle pilots jerseys that just had different stitching. A complete and total failure. There, but for the grace of God. I mean, the Royals, had they not managed it so much better? I mean, it's it's an unbelievable night and day difference. But the thing is, is those are little things in there that could have changed the outcome. And we wouldn't be talking about the Royals as what they became in the 70s. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's, that's... the part of it that makes it even more amazing when you realize what Kansas City accomplished 
just to get off the ground and then turned into a power in the American League. What an amazing job by everyone involved. I think that may be part of why it has hurt so much that this franchise floundered so badly in the 90s and beyond. It was it was the picture of how to operate a franchise. It was the perfect example of how to operate a franchise. It was beautiful. And they pulled it off at the same time that another team tried to do the same things and failed. Absolutely unbelievable. When you look at that history, it, it should you have to step back and think about that and just realize how many things could have gone wrong, how many missteps could have happened along the way. And instead, we got ourselves a pretty dang good baseball team at the time. Man, it was fun growing up with those teams. Hour one of the game, closing out. Uh, we'll get some final thoughts. Mitch joins us in the next hour as we hook up with him from Topeka as he gets ready to cover high school basketball tonight here at News Radio KMAN.